I'm sure you have all heard this phrase before. I've got some good news and some bad news. Now, if your doctor sends you a message with that, it's really going to get your attention, isn't it? My doctor sent me an email and started out that way. I've got some good news and some bad news. And boy, when you hear that, you start to sweat, right? Oh no, what's the bad news? And is there something I'm going to need to do? What can I do to change that bad news? You see, all of a sudden, the message of good news and bad news becomes some words that we want to live by. Now, when we hear those messages, good news, bad news, we're hoping that it will always end with good news. And thankfully, my doctor ended his with good news. But imagine if you got a message from God that said, I've got some good news and some bad news. Now, actually, we don't have to imagine it because God did give us those kind of messages. But it always ends with good news. It always ends with a word that we can live by. As we have been looking this month at important words for Christians to live by, like faith and hope and love, today we want to see what life is like when we live in grace. The scripture passage that we're going to study this morning are the words of the Apostle Paul to Titus, a pastor, in chapter 3 of that letter. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. This is good news. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable. Good news for everyone. This past summer, if you were following some of the news stories, you probably heard one story that delivered a lot of bad news. It was about a team of dedicated firefighters in Arizona who were killed by the very fire they were trying to stop. Despite how well prepared they were, despite their training, despite the special equipment they had to protect them, the fire overcame them and killed them all. Tragic story. Bad news. And yet, as I reflect on that particular account, I can't help but see some parallels to our life, spiritually. You know, it doesn't matter how prepared we are, how gifted we are, 
doesn't matter what we do, what kind of equipment or technology or whatever we have. There's nothing that can keep us from being overwhelmed by the fires of hell. And that's the first message that Paul brings us in this scripture. The first bad news message is your inability. You are unable to save yourselves. You heard what he said. At one time, we too were foolish. That means we had no love or no knowledge of God. We were disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. There is no way that we can overcome that. We're unable to. Oh, we may try. We may think, well, I'll just try to undo what I did. You know, like kids in school who get a bad grade on the paper and the teacher says, look it, I'll get you a break. Do it over and I'll give you a better grade. We can't do that. Once we have sinned in those ways, that's it. It's on the record. Nor can we overcome it in any way. That is, you know, as a kid in school, if you got one bad grade, you'll just say, okay, I'm going to study harder and do better for the rest now. And you do, and, you know, and all your good grades kind of get rid of that one bad grade. We can't overcome the bad that we have done. And nor can we change God's mind on it, right? Just like a parent may call a teacher and say, oh, please, please, can't you cut him a break? Can't you change that grade? God's judgment of what is bad and good stands, even though today in our culture people try to change that. Well, that's the way it was back then. It's different now. Or God didn't really mean that. It's okay to do this. You know, it's way, in a way it's like when we dust, if you dust, at home. Sometimes, you know, it's a matter of simply, you know, you just wipe it off. Well, what happens when you just wipe it off? You just send that dust somewhere else. You don't really get rid of it. And in the same way, if, if, if we just try to, to deny what we've done or, or excuse it in some way, we're just pushing it around. We're not getting rid of it. You, you know, when you dust, you're supposed to take a special treated cloth or a spray or something that's going to get the dust to cling to that cloth so you can get rid of it. And that's what has to happen with our sins because we're not able to get rid of it on our own. But there is good news. Paul starts with that little word that changes everything. He said, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The good news is we have been rescued from the fires of hell. We have been rescued from sin and from death. But not because of what we do. You've probably heard the term deadbeat before. And we use that to refer to people who uh, don't pay their debts, right? And try to get along without doing that, taking advantage of others maybe. Uh, did you know that that term actually comes from the railroad yards? Yeah. Uh, sometimes there would be empty cars in a load on a train. And, and those cars didn't have any cargo, so they weren't providing any kind of income to the train people. 
And, and the railroad workers, when they heard those cars moving along the tracks, they noted that the empty cars had a different beat to them. <laughs> and so they referred to those cars as deadbeats. They weren't bringing in anything. But yet, those cars weren't unhooked and thrown away. Those cars were still part of the train. They were still being brought along, all pulled by that engine. Well, that's us, folks. Deadbeats. We have no ability on our own to get to heaven. Nothing that we can do to please God. Nothing righteous that we have done, he said. But it's because of his mercy in Jesus Christ. He's that train engine that's pulling us deadbeats along to heaven. That's what Luther was trying to symbolize with that black cross. God took our inabilities, he took all of our sins, and he put it on Jesus. So the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead of us. Jesus was killed for our sins so that you and I will live. Now, that's just not some theological truth. That's the point at which we need to start and look at every aspect of our life. Who we are, what we have, that's all because of grace. Nothing on our part. All on God's part. Now, all other religions in the world teach that any blessings, any good stuff you have in this life, or, or getting to eternal life, it's going to come because of what you do. Christianity is the only one that teaches that it's all because of what God has done for you. But unfortunately, some areas of Christianity still put some emphasis on what you need to do. In fact, centuries ago in the Middle Ages, that's the way it was. That was the teaching of the Christian church. Yes, God did his part, but you need to do your part. You need to show God that you're worthy of his forgiveness. And then in, in God's grace to restore the truth to a sinful world, he brought about people who reformed the church by simply going back to what the scriptures declare, that it's all done for us in Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the absolute good news. It's impossible for us to do it, but God has done it for us. And when you start with that aspect of your life, then you see everything from the perspective of grace. Then we begin to realize that everything we have comes as God's riches at Christ's expense. But Paul had an, an, another message for us, and it starts out with some bad news, and that is our inactivity spiritually. In other words, though God has saved the whole world through Christ, us personally, we're still dead, inactive because of sin. Now, you just have to look at our lives today and you see how, you know, that verse 3 that I read before that described our malice, our envy, our hatred, that's still active in our lives, right? 
you still look at yourself and you see how sometimes we act from the perspective only of me. Self-centered. What do I want? What do I need? How I think it should be? It's like our mantra is, me, instead of thee. But, again, there's some good news here. Paul said, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. In other words, he made you alive, he made you active again spiritually by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The good news is, we've been renewed. We've been charged up again spiritually by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not that we were just running on a low battery. Some people believe that. Well, we just needed a little burst from God. No, we had no battery. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, the scriptures say. But God in his grace gave us the Holy Spirit to give us his love, to ignite faith and trust in God, our Savior. And then what a change that makes in in who we are now as the people of God. Listen how Paul put it in verse 8. He said, here's a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. That's the change God has made in us now. Now we are living and our heart beats spiritually because of God and for God. So let me ask you, do you see grace working in your life? Do you see where you maybe need to be spiritually recharged? We all need it every day, right? Life has its way of dragging us down and beating us up. And we still have a sin nature that we struggle with. We need that spiritual renewal. But sometimes we really don't pay attention to it, right? It's it's like with our cell phones. We don't always pay attention to that little battery level symbol. And then all of a sudden the phone starts beeping and it's dead. Or the same with your laptops or whatever it may be. We need to be tuned into the fact that we daily need to be recharged, renewed. And God loves to do this. He loves to pour out His Spirit upon us. Just get connected then with the Spirit. Through the Word and through the sacraments. Because then God gives you that grace. And that grace will enliven you and renew you. And you will have a wonderful spiritual life. That's good news. But sometimes we may not always see God's goodness working in our life, right? And then Paul says there's another issue, another bad news issue that we have to deal with, and that is our iniquity. That's a big Bible word. That means guilt. We we see and, and we feel guilt in our life, and that sometimes becomes very pronounced when things don't go so well in our life, whether it's with your health, your job, your finances, relationships, whatever it might be. You have some problems, and all of a sudden we recognize that life isn't so good, and maybe I'm the cause of it. We start to reflect on the fact that we have sinned against God. And then maybe we begin to think, 
So this is what God is now doing to me, huh? This is his way of, of punishing me. Well, it's true that, that the par- perfect paradise that God created is no longer here. There's trouble and hardship in this world, and it's because of sin. But in that, yet, Paul says there's some good news. He says, remember, you've been justified by his grace. See, God doesn't look at you as being that sinner anymore. He has declared you innocent of your sins. You are in a right standing. You have been restored to a perfect, loving relationship with God. He isn't out to get you. He isn't out to punish you. He isn't out to make you pay for your sin or to rub your nose in it. He's restored you to a position of being a loving child. Now, it's true we experience troubles in this world because the perfect world is gone. But be reminded of God's love that goes even through the trials. That's what Luther meant by this beating, renewed heart being on a bed of roses. You know, roses are beautiful and all that, but they still got thorns, right? You've got to be careful. You get pricked. But he says, look at the beauty and smell the wonderful scent of a life that's lived in God's grace. So when we have difficulties in life, when we're going through troubles and hardships, look through them and look beyond them. Look through them to see how God is working in them, through them, to strengthen you, to draw you closer to him, and to strengthen your faith in his grace. And then look beyond and see that that God has a purpose for this. That's what the Apostle Paul did. You know, he had his his hardships too. He referred to a, a thorn in the flesh that he had, some kind of ailment that seemed to hinder him and really bother him. He said, I pleaded three times for the Lord to take it away. But each time the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And that changed Paul's perspective of everything in life. He said, then I could rejoice in my hardships and suffering because I realized God's grace was spreading its tent over me. And I began to realize that when I was weak, I was really strong in grace. So when we're loaded down with guilt and reminded of it because of the hardships of this life, remember grace and look to it to strengthen you and get you through. Paul knows what it's like, though, to to be human. And he reminds us that we still live in this world sometimes with a sense of insecurity. That is, you know, some, some worry, some doubt. Especially when those hardships come along, we maybe wonder, why is this happening? Does God not love me? Is he punishing me? Uh, what's going to happen next? What's the future going to be? It's very easy for us to see and to, to feel that sense of insecurity. But look at what Paul says we do have. He says, you have become heirs of having the hope of eternal life. He's talking about us being reassured 
despite all the difficulties we have. And that's what Luther meant with this field of blue representing the sky. He's telling us to look up and be reminded that our Lord lives and that He reigns over everything and that He works through everything for our good. We have His assurance that nothing we experience in this life will ever separate us from His love. You see, it's Satan who wants to work in our heart to get us to doubt God's love. God wants us to be people of hope, to be assured where we stand with him. We're talking about Christian symbolism today. One one symbol that Christians have to display this truth of hope is an anchor, because the Bible says our faith is like an anchor. Our hope is like an anchor. Just as an anchor secures a a boat from from the wind and and the waves moving it, or, or even a gentle current. So, he says, our hope in the grace of God is an anchor that holds us firm with the assurance of his salvation. And so, get grace. And hold on to it like an anchor that keeps you firm in the storms of life. One more message. (laughs) We are all aware of our mortality. We all know of that imminent end. And if you get a message from your doctor and he says, I got some bad news, right away you start thinking, death? Death is the reality for us. Unless the Lord comes back before that time, we will die. In the early pages of Scripture, as recalling the lives of the early people, and that they lived hundreds of years. Can you imagine that? Hundreds of years. The story of all of them ends the same. And then they died. Scripture tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and once to face the judgment. So we know that imminent end is coming. And that may cause us to fear and cause us to mourn. But look at the good news Paul gives us. He says, you have the hope of eternal life. The good news is that even though we may die, we will live. We will be resurrected. In the grace of God, death becomes a blessing because in Christ, death has been swallowed up. Death has lost its sting and it's now a victory for us. You see, this body is is mortal. It's weak. It's got its problems. You don't need to point them out to me, okay? But it's just a reminder of that's the result of sin. But yet what God will do is separate our souls that are alive and take them to heaven as our body simply now rests. And then on that last glorious day, he's going to raise up our bodies and make them new and perfect and unite them with them, with, with our souls, so that we will enjoy that endless glory and bliss of a golden eternity. We have the assurance of that in Christ Jesus. You see, grace makes that difference. 
Despite whatever hardships we go through, despite what we see ahead in the future, we need not fear nor mourn over death like those who have no hope because grace has changed it all. Yeah, we we might get a, a bad news message about something in life. But remember what Paul says, that in all of these things we are more than conquerors through the grace of God in Christ. And being more than a conqueror means those things that now have been defeated by God work to serve you. So whatever it is that you experience or feel in life with God, it's always good news. And that's what it means to live your life in grace. Amen.